Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. The following is an ad for the Institute for Health and Recovery and MassFast. The Institute for Health and Recovery's mission is to develop a comprehensive continuum of care for individuals, youth, and families affected by alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use, violence and trauma, mental health challenges, and other issues. For over 30 years, the IHR has worked with many high-risk populations in Massachusetts to address drug and alcohol use, mental illness, trauma, and homelessness. IHR specializes in innovative services, training, and evaluation focused on addressing the unique needs of the underserved families, women, and youth. IHR's treatment programs provide holistic interventions for hard-to-reach and high-risk individuals and families. IHR's training and capacity-building programs provide research-based information to staff working with those affected by substance use and other co-occurring issues. MassFast is a program of IHR. MassFast serves as a centralized resource for issues related to FASD in Massachusetts. MassFast provides FASD trainings upon request to a variety of state and local organizations, including schools. MassFast also provides resources and support to families of children and young adults who have an FASD. This includes support groups, outings, and trainings to families. MassFast also provides FASD prevention, identification, and intervention training and resources to the DPH and BSAS licensed ambulatory and residential treatment. To learn more about MassFast, visit massfast.org. That's M-A-S-S-F-A-S dot org. The Institute for Health and Recovery and MassFast are both proud sponsors of the Run Fast, Run FASD 2023 Virtual 5K. And now today's episode of FASD Hope. Welcome to today's episode. My favorite episodes are all about FASD with Dr. Jared Brown because Jared is a treasure in our FASD community. Um, he is a, a just a wealth of knowledge and experience. And uh, Jared is just makes everything that we want to know related to FASD so tangible and accessible, um, especially for us family members who are still learning as we go. So on that lengthy introduction, uh, Jared Brown, my friend, welcome back to FASD Hope. Thank you, my good friend. And Thank you so much for the kind introduction and honor to be here. Thank you. And before we start talking about today's topic, which is energy drinks, caffeine and high sugary drinks, which I know many listeners will be interested to hear our conversation, um, fill us in about your upcoming book. 
Yeah, I've been working on a workbook that again focuses on everything sugar and probably about halfway done with it right now. And I've been doing more and more talks, more and more podcasts on all kinds of topics related to sugar. I think I did one on autism and sugar, one on criminality, really taking a deep dive into the world of sugar because I just find it fascinating. And everywhere I turn, everybody I know seems to have a unusual relationship with sugar. And the work I've done in the world of FASD and other kinds of neurodevelopmental disorders, almost every case I've consulted on, they seem to have kind of a, a problematic relationship with sugar, in some cases, sugar-sweetened beverages, and in other cases, energy drinks. But unfortunately, there's really little to no literature in the FASD world that talks about those topics. I know there's a couple articles that have talked about sugar and problematic eating patterns being more common among people with FASD, but there's only a few. And as far as I know, if anyone knows different, I've never seen an article that has tackled the topic of energy drinks, even though I've witnessed it professionally. And I hear frequently from caregivers I talk to that their child, their teenager or adult who has FASD seems to like the energy drinks. So we're going to tackle this really important topic today because Excessive consumption of energy drinks and sugar-sweetened beverages, without a doubt, are a threat to our brain health, our body health, and people that have FASD already have underlying, obviously, brain-based deficits, so this can just kind of add fuel to the fire, unfortunately, so that's one of the reasons why I'm, I want to talk about this. I'm I'm so glad, Jared, we're having this conversation because, personally, we, we have encountered this um i want to say i want to call it this uh addiction or this um craving that um you know our our son has for these energy drinks you know it started a few years ago and i know many other families that i've spoken with they when they have you know when their kids are of teenage years and and young adult years the access to these types of drinks is is so easily accessible so their kids are able to get it and um one of the first things i was told uh you know way back when we first received a diagnosis was that watch out for energy drinks high caffeine drinks those little energy shots anything like that because those can really wreak not only wreak havoc just in general on someone's body and someone's mind but if you're if you have a loved one who's taking psychotropic medications, which we know a majority of individuals with FASD have those co-occurring mental health diagnoses. So those medications come into play. I've been told by pharmacists, by practitioners, by researchers, stay away, Try do everything you can to have your child stay away from energy drinks um and 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 caffeine and like really high caffeine consumption so yeah personally and um you know as a podcaster i'm really interested in this topic so before we start talking about this topic again once again 
I view a healthy diet as a protective factor. Can you talk just quickly about that and how, you know, a, a poor diet really just in general wreaks havoc on our loved ones with brain-based diagnoses? Yeah, you bet. And I'll just, I always say this, this is for educational purposes only. Please yes. talk to your healthcare provider, or qualified nutritionist. Don't go out and like develop a nutrition plan, but yes. If someone consumes a high degree of sugar, sweetened beverages, energy drinks, that is not part of a well-balanced, healthy diet. When we think of diets that are focused more on just poor quality, be aware of the Western diet. Sometimes that's been called the standard American diet, the sad diet. Sometimes I've heard it referred to in the literature as the sweet meat diet. So basically, the, these are diets that are full of processed foods, could be sugar-sweetened beverages, lots of trans and saturated fats, lots of added sodium. And typically, these kind of diets don't have a lot of fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts. So if someone consistently like eat it, eats processed foods, gas station foods, fast foods, goes, goes out to eat constantly, those would be pretty much falling under that umbrella of the Western diet. When you think of the Western diet too, be aware of like ultra processed foods. You'll find tons of research that talks about ultra processed foods. If you pick up a label of a food and you look at it and you can't pronounce 95% of the ingredients, that's a pretty good chance that that's an ultra processed food. Carbonated drinks with lots and lots of sugar are a type of ultra processed foods. Packaged meats, packaged snacks, ice cream, candies, even mass produced kinds of breads and buns and cookies and biscuits and even yogurt that's loaded with sugars and fruit punch and even certain kinds of cereals and certain kinds of energy bars. If they're just loaded with lots of preservatives, tons and tons of added sugar, those would be types of ultra processed foods. So just something to consider. When we think a component of this, before we get into the energy drinks, I think it's important to at least have a brief discussion about like sugar sweetened beverages in general. Think of that kind of a bigger umbrella term. If you look at the research on this, there's actually lots and lots of studies that have been published on this, not within the context of FASD, but there are a handful that have talked about this topic within the context of autism and ADHD. So you can lean on that research a little bit. But think of sugar-sweetened beverages as a type of liquid carbohydrate. And the research on this, and if you go online and look at like leading authority kinds of organizations, these are a real threat to our health. There's really no health benefit associated with consuming these kinds of beverages. And some studies say that this, this might be the single largest source of added calories and sugars in the United States diet. So this, it's common. I used to drink these beverages as a teenager and kid. I didn't know any better and stuff. And lots of kids do it. They can probably get away with it here and there at, when they're younger. As you get older, if you're consuming these beverages day in and day out, it, it can wreak havoc on the brain and body. Some of the different kinds of beverages that fall under the umbrella 
of sugar sweetened beverages would be energy drinks, certain kinds of fruit punches, particularly fruit punches that are just processed in a factory, just loaded with sugars, loaded with dyes, those kind of things. Also be aware of like non-diet sodas. I don't want to scare anybody, but you look at some of the research on diet sodas and aspartame and what that's maybe doing to the gut and how it is linked to more inflammation. Not a good thing. People that drink a lot of slushies, sweetened coffees, sweetened teas, sweetened vitamin waters. These are all kinds of beverages that fall under this umbrella. So be careful. Talk to a nutritionist. If like someone is consuming like these vitamin waters, they might not necessarily be that healthy for you. I mean, look at how much sugar's in there and other added contents. If you look at the sugar sweetened beverage literature as a whole, and you kind of pull together all the consequences that are talked about, it talks about allostatic load, wear and tear in the body, increases inflammation. In some cases, excessive sugar sweetened beverage consumption may be associated with increases in loneliness in some cases. There's a couple studies that have talked about the connection between loneliness and higher consumptions of these beverages. Asthma may be impacted by this. Cardiovascular issues, non-alcoholic liver disease, obviously obesity, gout has been talked about, hyperactivity. It can weaken one's bones and increase the risk of fractures, some studies show. Other studies have talked about this within the context of having a negative impact on executive function and self-regulation abilities. And we know that those are core issues in people with FASD without adding these into the diet. Yes, so it's making it worse. Absolutely. It's just fuel on the fire. I mean, the list goes on in terms of the, the consequences associated with sugar-sweetened beverages but it's, it's important to also understand maybe what are some of the drivers behind this, the possible correlates that may increase the risk of this. Affordability is talked about a lot. They're cheap and they taste good. People that have poor parental modeling, it's also talked about. So if a child's in a home and the parents are consuming these beverages day in and day out, those kids are going to be much more likely. Kids that live a sedentary lifestyle, they don't get a lot of movement, may be more likely to consume these kinds of beverages. Some studies too, unfortunately, show that a high consumption of these beverages are oftentimes associated with other snacking behaviors, sometimes smoking cigarettes, and increases in fast food consumption and increases in screen time viewing. And you start piling all that together I mean, that wreaks havoc on the brain and body, and it can absolutely impact social health as well. Natalie, so, I'll kick it back to you. Yeah. So I, I, I'm so glad we're taking a deep dive into this, Jared, because two things struck me as you were sharing this. First of all, it's this vicious cycle. If you're already, I would say, you know, if you're already trapped in a diet um, that's poor, uh, you know, a, an, an unhealthy diet, Plus consuming these excessive uh, sugary beverages, excessive caffeine, everything. It's this, you know, it, you have to detox from it. You have to get that out of your body to start healing. So that's the first thing, you know, most of us don't realize that we're eating unhealthy until 
it's I want to say it's too late until something happens that makes us pause to say, hey, my health could be so much better if I, you know, swapped out this for this or whatever. And then the second thing is you really, you know, that that whole equity of healthy food and the equity of healthy water, we know that there's that disparity, especially in, in you know, areas of our country, areas in the world where there's low um, socioeconomic status and, and just low access to things like healthy fruits, healthy diets. You know, you go, like you said, you go into just a, a convenience store or a gas station and you have a whole row devoted to all of these drinks, all of these, you know, high sugary drinks and then a whole row of candy. And, you know, maybe like you might see a, a little basket on the counter of bananas and apples if you're, you know, if you're fortunate to be, you know. So there's really that accessibility that poor accessibility, which I, I really hope that, you know, just communities, uh, people listening, organizations can can get more out there to our kids, to our communities that that don't have access to things like fruit, healthy water, healthy foods, that kind of thing. So this is really a deep dive. So I use that example of you walk into, say, a gas station or a convenience store and you see a whole row of energy drinks or very high caffeine, very high sugar drinks. It's it's an ongoing battle, you know, with <laughs> with what we we can only, you know, coach and and help our kids so much. They're going to, you know, if they if they go into a store, um, you know, say as a young adult or as a teenager, you know, they're going to gravitate towards these things. Um, let's talk about some of those reasons why they're so gravitated. You mentioned it and, and, you know, you mentioned some of these examples, but also can the fact that they already have executive functioning deficits, that they already have, um, high impulsivity and, and low, uh, impulse control, are those playing into the factors of I'm going to reach for, you know, an energy drink versus I'm going to reach for bottled water? Well, I, I, I do think so. I mean, if someone has executive function impairments, yeah, connecting the dots can be a little more tricky or you're less likely to be able to delay gratification. You brought up the socioeconomic status that is absolutely talked about in here and in some neighborhoods, you may not have access to a healthy grocery store. You may have access to a convenience store or a gas station in your neighborhood. What happens if you go to school? I hate to say this. I mean, this is personal experience and things I've observed. You go look around at some of the high schools, look around at some of the colleges, look around at some of the hospitals. I know hospitals that have a, a fast food joint on the first floor. I do a lot of work in the area of forensics, and there's several studies that talk about people who get convicted and go to prison come out of prison more metabolically unhealthy because a lot of prison food is loaded with sugars and sodium and high carbs. So this is an issue everywhere you turn, healthcare, education, criminal justice system. I think part of it, again, goes to parental modeling. So again, we really want to understand 
what's going on in the house with modeling behaviors, but what are the household rules around this? Growing up as a kid, I lived in two households and my mom had different rules. My dad had different rules. So that can get confusing. What is the parents modeling around vegetable intake as well? I mean, being around my dad growing up, I didn't even know what a vegetable meant. So, I mean, it just depends on what you're exposed to. Self-efficacy is sometimes talked about in the, in the research as well. And again, proximity has a lot to do with this. What kind of friends does that individual have as well? I mean, if you have a friendship network and you're always going through the drive-through and you're going to gas stations, well, you're probably more likely to eat that way. But not too many teenagers, teenagers I know when I was growing up thought about this stuff. A lot has to do with our knowledge of nutritional habits, our attitudes around nutrition, our perceptions around this, and even cultural cultural aspects can play into this in some cases. So those are a few things that we absolutely need to take into account. And, and that, before and I that, jump in, I just, is there anything else that you'd like to share, Natalie, before I kind of just jump into energy drinks in general, just to kind of lay that foundation as well? I just wanted to, uh, to, to mention, Jared, I'm really thankful you're talking about parental modeling. You know, because I think especially when you have younger children and, you know, the joke is you carry it, it's summertime, you carry it around an iced coffee, an iced latte or an iced mochaccino or whatever. And you may not think much of it, but your kids are watching you. Your kids are watching you consume that giant cup of iced coffee or whatever. So that's already kind of important you're making that implant of, okay, instead of walking around with a nice bottle of ice water with maybe some fruit or vegetables in it, you know, to infuse flavor, I'm walking around with a a large glass of iced coffee. And again, I, I, this is, this is, I'm sharing this just as an example. I'm not knocking anybody who does this, Uh, you know, you do what you do, but what is a really good um, reminder Jared, what you're sharing is that what we model for our kids is going to make that, you know, it could affect how those decisions they make later. You know, if if they're always seeing mom walking around with a bottle of water and fruit and if they like that and they get used to that, like we talked, we talked about this in our last episode about excessive sugar. If you're making those healthy choices and incorporating them into your routines, I I'd like to say it's almost like a family accommodation. Would you would you agree with that? You you're making an accommodation as a family towards a healthier diet and a healthier eating lifestyle. I would agree and it takes intentionality. Yes. It takes work, dedication because everywhere you turn, it's pulling you back in to probably the western way of eating. And it's hard not to eat that way. I used to eat that way all the time. I changed my diet a good handful of years ago and feel so much better. I think I mentioned in the the last segment, but yeah, everywhere you turn, most jobs, you go in first floor, there might be a vending machine and what's in the vending machine. Lots of things that probably aren't good for you. So 
I think things are changing gradually and gradually, but I mean, yeah, you look around, it, it is very difficult to escape being overwhelmed by all the choices that you have that might not be that good for you. Because yeah, you knocked it out of the park with the gas station. I pay very close attention to that. I think the only thing in the gas station that might be somewhat healthy is maybe the air you breathe and maybe a bottled water, but exactly. there's microplastics in the water. So that's a whole other kind of worms to exactly. consider. Exactly. So, so now let's take a deep dive into uh, energy drinks. We know, you and I have had this conversation, we know how much they wreak havoc on you know, a, a, a person who is typically developing someone, um, you know, who has a, a, neur a neurotypical um, brain and body. Um, now let's talk about energy drinks and how they specifically wreak even more havoc on someone with a brain-based diagnosis such as FASD. And the example that I shared um, personally was from several people, several professionals saying these types of drinks will affect medication, you know, and again, we're talking informational. We're sharing this as information and education. Please don't use what we're saying to substitute any, you know, medical or clinical advice. But that really stuck with me that this is going to these types of drinks are going to affect medications. Let's talk about how energy drinks wreak havoc on the brain and the body when you think of energy drinks think of beverage so it's something you drink these kinds of beverages are typically loaded with caffeine added sugar a number of other additives depending on the brand you look at so they a lot of times have lots of different additives and a number of legal stimulants I didn't the the keyword is legal and a lot of these beverages are marketed in in a positive manner that shows that it helps increase like mental and physical stimulus just alertness now the thing is if you dig deep into the weeds with this research a lot of the marketing for some of these drinks and I'm not going to name any particular brand a lot of times they're marketed to younger individuals. So younger individuals' brains are still developing too. So take that into account. Again, I'm not aware of any studies that have ever tackled this within the FASD world. But if you look at the potential negative health effects of these um, beverages, if you look at other studies, it's been talked about that it could contribute to more cardiovascular problems. And I'm not saying like, if you had one energy drink, you're going to have heart problems. I mean, I think these research studies are looking at like ongoing consumption of these. It's not like a one-time thing. Increases in headaches have absolutely been talked about. In some cases, it could trigger hallucinations in some people, depending on a number of factors. If they're pounding down the energy drinks, Maybe it's impacting their blood sugars. Maybe they're not sleeping and they've been up for days on end. That could trigger hallucination. So more restlessness, higher levels of depression and anxiety. There are several studies that show that these drinks may adversely impact the gut. 
We've talked about the gut here and there. We know the gut-brain health connection is a very important thing to be aware of. When your gut is not working properly, it impacts your brain. Numerous studies show a big connection between autism and digestive health issues. I believe there's one, maybe two studies now that are starting to really look at digestive health issues among people with FASD. Anecdotally, I see it all the time. People with FASD seem to have something not working properly with their gut. Could be for a variety of reasons. These drinks, in some cases, are linked with more diabetes, obesity, certain kinds of cancers, dental problems, the list goes on. And in some cases, depending on the way we eat, and if we consume a lot of these beverages, and maybe someone skips breakfast and they just have these beverages before they go to school, could crash their blood sugar levels. When someone has blood sugar dysregulation, it can absolutely impact their mood and their energy, be aware of the topics of hypoglycemia. That's when your, your blood sugar levels get too low. Hyperglycemia, too high. And blood sugar dysregulation is very common among lots and lots of people, not just people with diabetes. But sugar-sweetened beverages have been linked to more blood sugar dysregulation. Extreme stress, chronic sleep deprivation, skipping meals, lack of exercise, these things can have an adverse impact on blood sugar dysregulation. There are multiple ingredients in energy drinks that depending on the brand that someone gets. So caffeine is at the top of the list. Some of these drinks, again, are loaded with sugars. Some of these drinks have lots of artificial sweeteners or aspartame in it, but some of these drinks too are loaded with like vitamins. So on the surface, you see all these vitamins and it may think, well, that's really good for me. Not, not necessarily because now you're having tons and tons of caffeine and tons and tons of sugar. And if you look at some of the research among children who consume a lot of these beverages, it may increase depression, increase in stress, anxiety, in some instances, higher levels of self-destructive behavior. And a couple studies show that it may increase violent behavior and risk-taking behavior among certain adolescents. Again, it, it, there's a lot of variables we need to take into account. But some of these studies too also show that adolescents who consume a high degree of energy drinks may be at an increased risk of developing a substance use issue related to alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis, and even non-medical use of prescription drugs. These are all talked about in the literature. And some of the other high-risk behaviors that have been talked about in this literature is that it could increase sexual risk-taking behavior and risky driving behavior as well as that person gets a little bit older. So... I'll kick it back to you, Natalie, for a minute, see, see what you're thinking on any of that stuff. I'm so thankful we're talking about this. You're talking about the effects of energy drinks on all aspects of health. And I'm so glad we're taking a deep dive into the emotional aspect of, you know, how, what happens when when you consume energy drinks. And then particularly if you have an FASD or if you're living with another brain-based diagnosis and our goal 
our our goal for our loved ones is and I would I would think that, you know, uh, just anybody's goal in general is to have emotional re- regulation, you know, emotional stability, emotional things are regulated. And we know that when you have a brain-based diagnosis, such as an FASD, you have more emotional dysregulation. You have more um, sensory dysregulation. That's actually something I, I, I want to ask too, Jared. Can the impact of the um, having consuming an energy drink, can that impact sensory issues, especially for someone that has either um, sensory seeking behaviors or sensory avoidance behaviors? It's not going to help. And l- let me put my neurotransmitter and neurohormone hat on right now. L- let's say we're consuming tons and tons of sugar. We're spiking our blood sugars. Then it crashes. We're, we're going through some mini like caffeine withdrawals. And the person's under a lot of stress, worry, anxiety, hasn't slept well. There is a very high likelihood that it throws off their neurotransmitters and their neurohormones. And when our neurotransmitters and hormones are off, increases in negative mood and negative thinking, more daytime fatigue, low energy, insomnia. That in and of itself, when our hormones and neurotransmitters are off, we may consume more sugar food because maybe our serotonin's off. It can contribute to more headaches, body-based complaints, and that all of these things can converge and contribute to more sensory issues, more self-regulation problems, that inability to kind of self-soothe and calm, calm down. So our whole body at a cellular level and a neurological level are not working at optimal levels. It just throws everything out of whack. And we want to get back to homeostasis and balance. But you, you consume tons and tons of caffeine and you're skipping meals and you're pounding down the fast food. Good luck getting back to baseline. Your body is probably going to crave more and more of that after that feeling of fullness goes away and it comes back and a flood of anxiety in some cases can happen. You're not sleeping well. It spikes our inflammation in our body and the list goes on. That's kind of what maybe is going on at the cellular biochemical level. And then those manifest themselves as sometimes more irritability, more anger, more up and down mood swings. So there is some research that points to the fact if you're working with kids or teenagers who are up and down all over the map behaviorally, is their blood sugar levels off? Is their gut off? Are they sleep deprived? There's a good chance that, yes, something in their body is not working properly. So if you work, if you're a professional, you work with people with extreme disruptive behavioral patterns, you would do well learning about the gut, hormones, inflammation, blood sugar dysregulation, sleep. Those are all things that can help calm the body down and help people not have these extreme mood swings. Homeostasis was exactly the word I was looking for, Jared. That's what we all seek, you know, On and, and I'm so glad we're really diving into this because on a cellular level, and we spoke about that in our last episode, and if you haven't listened to our last episode, go listen to it. It's it's excessive sugar consumption. Um, we, Jared, you spoke about how a poor diet and excessive sugar affects us on a cellular level, and 
that's what it sounds like. Energy drinks, high caffeine, um, these energy boosts kind of drinks, things that, like you said, it's it's very deceiving. They market it as, oh, yes, and we have vitamins or, or you know, this will give you more energy or this and that. But what I think we all need to realize is especially when you have a loved one that has a brain-based diagnosis, such as living with an FASD, what these types of drinks are, are essentially like fuel, liquid fuel for the fire of dysregulation. You know, if you, if you're, I you're like talking that, that's about, great. <laughs> I think that, that might be a hashtag <laughs> for this episode, Jared, <laughs> you know, it's a fire of, of dysregulation and, and our, you know, as loved ones, as family members, as it, anyone, you know, community, healthcare professionals, if we see dysregulation as this fire and we want to keep it in control, obviously we can't put it out. You know, there's no cure for dysregulation. However, and, and oh, this could be a book, Jared. <laughs> you know, what we need to do is control it. And one of the ways we can control it are things like, how can we control it? Healthy diet, consuming more uh, water, parental models, um, good environmental models. You know, we, we could list so many things. What is going to be like fire fluid, like liquid, you know, fuel fluid. And that's going to be these types of drinks. It's essentially going to be like, make the fire just, you know, like, like you, it would just be ignition for yeah, this, absolutely. you know, for this fire of dysregulation. Oh my goodness. That I'm going to hashtag that. And I, <laughs> I might even trademark that. So we, we took a deep dive into this, Jared, and I'm so glad we did. Let's talk. We always like to end not only with hope, but before we end with hope, I want to end with some resources. What are some things that parents and loved ones and anyone can do to help just, you know, if you, if you're in, you know, this, um, if you're in this energy drink consumption habit, how can you, you know, get out of it? And if you're the parent or caregivers of littles, what can we do to model so that they don't, you know, there's, there's, there's always going to be a, a chance that they will turn to these types of drinks and these types of um, beverages. However, what can we do as protective factors to help them and, and just provide resources and, and how can we say, okay, what can we do to regulate this? In the sugar sweetened beverage literature, multiple interventions are talked about. Consulting with a nutritionist would probably be at the top of the list. It talks about really promoting self-regulation training. So really focusing on improving self-regulation and executive functioning interventions can be very, very helpful. We didn't talk about metacognition today, but metacognition training would be something you'd want to look into because improving one's metacognition has been linked to making better food and beverage choices, reducing the screen time that you do and allow your child on the screen is talked about. Just getting education about the topic. So just learning about this is empowering and it talks about just the very nature of learning about some of these things can help us make more informed choices. Anything we can do to improve parental self-efficacy, promote emotional intelligence, promote self-esteem, 
utilize optimism and strengths-based approaches, and also reducing a sedentary lifestyle are talked about as potential interventions. In the general nutrition literature, it talks about increasing one's health literacy and nutritional literacy. So basically that is like learning how to read food labels more effectively, just having more knowledge and awareness around what you eat, why you eat it, when you eat it. Those kind of things can be very, very helpful. I'm a big fan too of the self-compassion literature. And in the self-compassion literature, it does talk about people that have greater levels of self-compassion are more likely to engage in like health-promoting lifestyle behaviors, as well as a whole host of other positives. So those are just a few things to take into account. But again, keep in mind the, the, the consequences associated with excessive consumption of these kinds of beverages are many and varied. So it can impact emotional health, behavioral, cognitive, social, and physical health. So really, if you can, learn as much as you can about these topics because it will play in, I believe, into your child's overall thinking, their feelings, their behavioral patterns as they get older. If these drinks are part of their life day in and day out for many years, it's wreaking havoc on their body at a cellular level and then impacts their sleep. So this is just my opinion. These kind of beverages just really don't serve any positive need in the human body. I mean, some people could disagree with that, but that's just where I'm at today. They're just really a threat to human health. I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent. And I'm sure many of our listeners, if not all of our listeners probably agree with you too, uh, Jared. I'd like to, um, you, you touched upon a little bit about just the neuro health and that neuro emotional, um, connection. And, and what I'd like to do is give you a sneak peek, uh, give listeners a sneak peek of next, our next topic. We're going to be talking about FASD and neuro counseling with Dr. Jared Brown. And, um, I'm really interested to hear that. Jared, before we end on our hope takeaway, can you quickly just talk about, you gave me this wonderful definition of neurocounseling. I want to just put in a little, almost like a little mini commercial for the listeners so they know when to look for this episode. What is neurocounseling? Absolutely. It's basically taking neuroscience research and infusing it into therapy and counseling practice. But even if like it's not a counselor listening to it, Becoming more neuroscience informed, you're going to understand the brain better. But in that research literature, it does talk about being aware of some of the biological factors. So maybe blood sugar dysregulation, the gut, psychological factors, mood, social factors. It really brings it all together. And I, I really see it as more of a, a holistic, full mind-body approach. And in there, it talks about tons of different interventions. Therapeutic lifestyle changes is talked about in there. Sometimes they talk about neurofeedback, biofeedback. In that research, I think there's one article that talked about like the benefits of engaging in jigsaw puzzles. So we'll talk about some cool stuff, I think that can help enhance brain functioning. And I'm really looking forward to that, Jared, because this episode and our last episode, we really talked about poor diet, increased 
uh, sugar consumption, increase, you know, these caffeine and energy drinks and whatnot. So we were talking more about the dietary aspect, but yet you, in, in both episodes, we, we spoke about, uh, the, the neurology behind it, you know, the, the, um, the neuroscience behind it. So I think this will be a nice kind of, um, bookend to these past conversations and talking about how to view the neuroscience aspect of, of the brain with the emotional counseling, you know, that again, talking about that, that homeostasis, we want that emotionally as well as, as physically. So, um, so be sure to look out for that episode that will be coming in probably in a, in a, a month or two after this episode. So Jared, can you remind listeners again how they can get in touch with you? If you share my email address, that, that's probably the best way. And if you have questions, reach out. And I have lots of links and different resources on most of these topics that I talk about. And we are just so thankful to have Jared uh, as a champion, uh, clinician, um, just an expert in the FASD community. As always, Jared, I'm just so thankful that you are in this community and you are um, just helping so many countless individuals. Let's end on a hope takeaway. What words of hope can you uh, share with our listeners? There's a lot of interventions that are talked about in the general research and I'll be doing more and more podcasts on, on these topics. And hopefully this stimulates a conversation too with researchers to dig deeper into this because in the general literature this topic's talked about all over the map so if you're a researcher listening to this or a student looking for a good topic a lot of gaps in the literature we we know that it's an issue anecdotally but we need to put it in to empirical based literature where it can help guide and inform interventions policies and practices so we're planting seeds out there and Natalie, yes. great work you're doing with your podcast and just getting the word out about all of these topics. Thank you, Jared. So I'd like to end that hope takeaway with a call to action. And I do this sometimes if you are listening. And again, like Jared said, if you are a researcher, if you're an educator, if you're looking for a topic to research, FASD and energy drinks, high sugar consumption, Listen to this episode and listen to our previous episode and you will have a much needed a topic that is much needed to be researched. So that's my call to action. Um, Dr. Jared Brown, it's always a pleasure having you on FASD Hope. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. Make sure you don't miss a single episode by liking and following FASD Hope anywhere you find your podcasts. Remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.